Good morning, beloved Orangewood. Good morning. All right, great. Hey, if you have your Bible, if you turn with me in your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews 13 for one verse, and then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 primarily, a little bit in Genesis 2. Uh, as we continue our sermon series on marriage, marriage is God's love story. Uh, this morning we got a real easy one. Uh, should be an easy uh, sermon. How sex fits into God's love story. You've been praying for me this week, right? You ready for this? Uh, I got to tell you, first of all, it fits in beautifully. Uh, it's an incredible gift uh, that God has given to us. Uh, really, I hope and pray that uh, all of us will be able to leave here and say, ah, I get it. I understand a whole lot more of this incredible gift that God has given to us. Hey, every time I have the privilege of doing pastoral counseling, uh, a premarital counseling, uh, before a couple gets married. It's one of my favorite things about this gig I got, uh, to kind of see this young couple on the couch all excited, you know, and googly gaga eyes about each other and about ready to launch in on this thing on marriage, and they think they're ready, right? Um, and a lot of the counseling I don't do, but I always got to have at least one. I will not marry somebody without at least one counseling with me. And when, we there, when we're there, I talk about the big three of marriage. And the big three, the big three that could be incredible blessings and incredible pitfalls. These are the same big three that were given to me when Chuck Green did premarital counseling for Katie and me. I used them, Chuck. I'm stealing your big three. They're still the big three. It's family. You're bringing two families into this deal. And family, boy, can it be a blessing. And anybody want to say that in-laws are a struggle from time to time? Do I hear an amen? Don't say it if they're here. All right. Secondly is finances. If you have it, if you don't, finances is always an issue. And the third is sex. And I always say, listen, the first two don't even compare. I mean, the third one. Uh, there's an opportunity with this gift called sex can have incredible blessing on your marriage. And it also can be one of the hardest things. It can be something that separates you. It can be something that brings so much angst and, and damage into your marriage. So if I'm giving them the big three, and if really this is such an important thing for all of us to know, and is it not true? I mean, we live in an absolutely sex-crazed culture, sex-saturated culture. Where do we learn about sex? Did you learn it from your parents? I can't tell you how many generations I've asked people, you know, did your parents ever talk to you about sex? Oh, no. Or if you did, it was like one of those, oh, man, it was so awkward. It was it was so clumsy. And so, you know, naturally you think it would come out of the home, but a lot of times it's, it's not there. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where the, the parent was just completely absent of conversation about what a sex is all about. How about school? Well, you know, they teach us in school. They'll tell us the biology uh, of actually what happens, and they seem to stress more of the STDs, the sexually transmitted diseases, and those things to avoid. So do we learn about it at home? Not usually. Do we learn about it in school? That's kind of an interesting view of what they say. Typically it's through friends. Uh, you know, and it's usually, especially with guys, uh, someone else's sexual prowess, uh, someone else's succeeding or whatever, their exploits that they love to share. I mean, do we learn about sex via Hollywood? Heaven help us, right? I mean, if we're going to try to understand uh, what uh, this gift means from their perspective, uh, uh, really, please. Uh, what about for porn? I mean, uh, again, the statistics are alarming of the number of us who are, are knee-deep into porn. 
The statistics are alarming uh, for how young it is that people are tapping into porn. The statistics are alarming for both male and female. And I want you to know, I come in here thinking, man, this, this has entangled all of us. It's somehow touched every one of our lives. And are we learning about sex through, through porn? <laughs> Heaven forbid. But what about God? What about the one who, who invented it? What about the one who gave us this gift? He, he did create it. And usually when society associates God with sex, it's usually like he's really down on the whole thing, right? I mean, usually you hear the perspective about God and sex and you hear these things. Thou shalt not. You hear the thou shalt nots, and that's what usually gets associated with God and sex. The don't do this, don't do that. I'm not really for uh, necessarily hearing that he's for it. Well, I think that that's uh, a misrepresentation of God. He's not against it. He's not even angry about it. He's not opposed to sex. He, God actually commands it in the right setting. Commands it. It's pretty amazing. This morning's sermon is not going to be primarily the thou shalt nots of sex. Instead, this morning, we're going to look to the why did God give it to us? What is it for and why? This is going to be like just a framework. Can we talk? Can we talk? I mean, let's just be honest. This subject comes with more baggage than about anything I could ever preach. And it's humbling to stop and to think how much baggage you bring in here. Some of you are deeply harmed because of this subject. Some of you have been deeply abused. Some of you have have skeletons in your closet that you're just terrified of, of letting out. Some of you have addictions that are really, really deep. Some of you are carrying shame. Uh, Some of you live your life uh, feeling like you have a scarlet letter that's somehow tattooed on you for the shame that you carry with with maybe sin against you or the sin that you have committed this way. There's confusion. There's confusion of of what is right and and what is wrong. There's perversion. I got to say this about every one of us. There is not one of you here, myself included, who does not need God's grace when it comes to sex. There's not one of us here, myself included, who does not need God's grace when it comes to the subject of sex and understanding it. Let me tell you something else. There's not one person here, not one, that's too far away from God's grace when it comes to sex either. No matter how dark it has been, no matter how dark you have gone into this arena, the great news about the light of Christ, the great news about the grace of God, it is sufficient for each and every one of us. A challenge for me, I mean, again, I was haunted by it this morning, is this realization, is this, is this. I can't say everything about this matter. In this sermon series, I'm going to have one week on sex. And if I try to say everything, I will say nothing. And so some of you will come here and you'll say, man, I really hope he deals with X or I really hope he deals with this. I really hope he, he addresses this. And, and I want you to know I'm a people pleaser and I want to, I want to do it. But, but I can't say everything that needs to be said. So I'm going to say what I feel that God's put on my heart that needs to be said this morning. And this morning is going to be more of the framework. It's going to be more of the framework for us to understand what it means 
to have a sexual relationship with our spouse in a way that honors God. It's a framework to understand that marriage is a part of God's love story. And sex is a huge part of that story. And it's for every one of us to understand, not just for the married person, for the single, for the divorced, for the widow. Every one of us needs to understand this. All right, let's look at a little recap. Let's just take a a pause here for a moment before we jump in and and kind of remind ourselves where we've been. A couple weeks ago, we launched this series and we really wanted to say, hey, don't forget, marriage is God's love story. The marriage is God's idea. He's for it. He's the one who's created it. And because he's for it and created it, he wants to tell us how to regulate it. We're going to see that with sex as well, that he really is uh, for it. It does not only marriage is to, uh, he's for it because it's his idea, it's to reveal his character. He's made male and female in his image, and he brings these two to become one to reveal who he is. The unity of a triune God and the beauty of that. Marriage is to reveal the character of God. And, and then thirdly, we looked at in that first week that, that ultimately marriage is to tell God's love story. That's the reason he created it. I hit pause. That's true for singles. That's true for those who are divorced. All of us tell God's love story. But specifically, this is an institution that is also created to tell the story of God. It's more than just your life. It's more than just your love story. It's his. And because we are all, as Christians, called into this grand love affair with God, we are all to be imitators of the hero of the story we looked at last week. Who's the hero of the story? Remember, I tell you every time. Anytime I ask you a question, never a bad answer is Jesus, all right? So let's try it again. So we are storytellers. We are the ones telling God's story, and God's word has called us to be imitators of the hero of the story, and that hero is? Very good. And that includes all of us, single, married, young person, old person, engaged, wherever you fall, you are to be an imitator of God as a dearly loved child. Why? Because you're a storyteller, because he loves you. And now for all of us, not just those in marriage, but for those of us in marriage, this is very specific as well. We're supposed to be living a a sacrificial loving life for others, especially for husbands to their wives. Loving them sacrificially. We are to be loving each other in a way and, and willing submission to all of us are to be willing to be submitting to one another. Specifically for a wife to a husband. And now this week, this week we're going to see that sex is God's idea and gift. We're going to see that sex is to be a part of God's love story. It's really kind of cool. I'm excited to show you. It's going to reveal something about God's story maybe you never saw. And sex should be enjoyed and enjoyed and enjoyed within marriage. So let's look to God's word. It has so much to say about it. Remember, um, the Bible begins with a wedding and ends with a wedding feast. Remember, the Bible, when it wants to describe God's love for us, calls us his bride. I mean, you cannot get away from the language of marriage, the language of love, because God is love. And that's how he loves us. And so we are going to be kind of all over God's word today, because it is all in God's word. And it's all about him and his love story for us. We're going to start with Hebrews 13, one verse, verse 4. It says this. Let marriage be held in honor among all. I love that. Not just those who are married. Marriage is to be held in honor. It's, 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 it's priceless. It's something of value for all. And let the marriage bed 
be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to jump in at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the, the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Chapter 7, verse 1. And remember, in the original, there were no chapter breaks. This was continuing thinking from Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man to, is it, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. Hit pause. Let's hear what he's saying there. They wrote to Paul saying, hey, isn't it good that we shouldn't be having sex? That was kind of going to get a part of the thinking. He's going to say no, basically. But because of temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife should give to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Is anybody doing that, by the way? But then come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I want to turn to, uh, I'm going to add you one more, Genesis chapter 2. I don't think this will be on the screen. Genesis 2, just one verse, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife and they shall become... One flesh. Let us pray. Now, Father God, as we begin this morning, I'm just mindful of how much baggage that I bring in here and how much baggage that every one of us brings in here when it comes to understanding sex and sexual purity. Father, I pray that you would do that which only you could do. That you would allow our burdens to roll off our shoulders and you would heal our scars and that God, that you would, you would remake our understanding of what this gift of sex is all about and all for. And God, I, I pray for each one. I, I know that there are our men and women and young and old here this morning that, that really do have some deep wounds because of 
sins that have been committed against them or, or even maybe sins that they've committed in this arena. God, this has got so much shame attached to it and so much guilt and only the gospel can set us free. And God, this has got so much confusion of what's right and what is wrong and, and we don't even know somewhere where to turn to, to get a handle on this, but we turn to you because you have created it and this is for you and your glory. And God, I, I just want to start by confessing that, that the worldview of, of what sex is all about is so entangled my own life that, that I pray that that only thing that could be heard this morning is, is your biblical view that you'd speak through a broken sinner like me. You'd give us ears to hear the voice of the one who created this great gift. You would give us minds to understand why this is an important gift for all of the church all of us, that you would give each one of us a heart to embrace your story above our own story and to embrace your love first and foremost. And the God that, that somehow because you're here and, and somehow because you're good and somehow because you're powerful and somehow because the gospel works, that you would empower our feet to walk out of here in obedience You'd empower our feet to, to walk out of here. And, and whether we're single, we're married, that we would live chaste lives for your glory. And I thank you that there's not a person here that does not need the grace of God. And I thank you there's not a person here that's outside of the reach of the grace of God. So come and reach every one of our hearts today. The things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel and the story of the Bible, your love story. Use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You'll find in that your bulletin and outline if you want to follow along with me. The first thing we're going to see is this, is that sex is God's idea and it is his gift. It's credible, but it's true. He's created you with that drive. He has created you uh, for this in marriage. God is for sex. He created it. And as I mentioned earlier, he, he actually in, in certain settings will com command it. Immediately when he creates man and woman, he'll say, now go and be fruitful and multiply. We just read out of the book of Corinthians that he's going to say, listen, you shouldn't deprive each other of this. I mean, you shouldn't not be doing this. You should be experiencing this to the fullest. So if it's true, if God is the one who created it, if it's true that God is the one who has given us this, then isn't it true that he should be the one who regulates it? Just like in marriage, he should be the ultimate authority. His voice, he gave it to us for a reason. He gave it to us for a purpose. We need to know what it is. Sex is truly a gift. It's a gift from God. When God created all things, he looked at him, he said, they're good. Listen, he, he made male and female in his image, but it's more. He gave us bodies. I mean, he, he made us the way we are. And he looked at that and says, I want you to know this is good. It's something that God created for even pleasure, for goodness. It's a good gift that he has declared it to be a good gift. But it's a gift that should be Enjoyed under the guidelines of the giver of the gift. It's a gift that's not to be abused, but so often, so frequently, is abused. 
Let me also say that sex is not the ultimate gift from God. I think that's where we get in trouble. I mean, we take something good and we try to make it something ultimate, an ultimate gift from God. What, what is the ultimate gift that God has given us? Perfect. You guys are getting it. It's awesome. And who does God give that gift to? Just married people? No. I mean, the ultimate gift that God could so love the world is give himself to give Jesus. And so this is a gift. It is a gift of God. It's not the ultimate gift. And it's a gift specifically with a purpose. It's a gift to, that always should be bringing a blessing. The proper use of this gift, listen, always blesses. The proper use of this gift always draws us closer to God. The proper use of this gift will bring us great joy will set us free and make guys who can't dance want to dance. But outside of God's blessing, you hear what we read in Hebrews 13, 4? It said that marriage is honorable and to be held in honor to all. It said that uh, the marriage bed is to be kept pure by all. And, and God is going to bless that gift that he gives used in that way that brings him honor. But it, you hear what it says about those who abuse the gift? You'll be judged. It sounds kind of harsh. What, what is he kind of doing? You see, there's, there's something so powerful about this. There's something so uniting of two becoming one. Did you hear him talk about uh, someone who just kind of has casual sex with a prostitute? And God has gotten all over him saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it wasn't just because she's a harlot. It was because you're one with Christ and, and you're trying to become one. You can't do it. Every sexual act outside of the giver of the gift can't be blessed. Every single one. And I want you to know, it ultimately brings us harm. I mean, there, there's not a casual sexual experience, whether that's an individual thing or that's with somebody else, not your spouse, that, that will not ultimately bring harm. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, you're going to, like, go blind. or not going to say that, you know, that there will be rashes you can't identify. I don't know what God will do, but I will tell you this. It's a gift that he will bless every single time, every time, bar none, within the blessings of that gift. And there can never be one time outside of that that he could bless. Because God doesn't change. And, and I can't tell you how many people I've known, especially of 10 years in student ministry, where, where I've had students look me in the eye, but, but you understand, God gets us because we really are soulmates. I mean, God gets us because we, we really are committed to one another. But God understands. He's given us a love that we just cannot deny. I want to tell you, we could justify it all we want to, but God is the one who gives the gift. Sex is his idea. He should regulate it. It is a good gift, but it always has to be done under the context of his blessing. All right, that's the first thing. And again, marriage should be held in honor among all. And so this is not just for the married people. This is for the single people to understand as well. The marriage bed shall be undefiled by all. Not just the married, but the single person, the divorced person as well. Because why? Because listen, this is so important. Why is this important? Because marriage is going to be a part of God's story. God wants to tell who he is. He wants to reveal his love to us. He wants to reveal his character of who he is through our marriages. And that's why it's so important to reveal his holy character. Secondly, sex is to be a part of God's love story. 
to be a part of God's love story. God tells us that he loves us. And boy, has he demonstrated his own love for us. That while we are still sinners, he would love us enough to send his only son to come and to die for us. The story of the Bible is a story of God who loves. The story of the Bible is a God who loves you so much he sacrifices everything to have a relationship with you. The story of the Bible is a story of a God who gives and gives and lavishes love upon us. But here's what you have to get. The story of God's love is always in the context, always in the context of covenant. God has made a covenant with his people. He's, he's, he puts himself in a binding contract. God has taken vows, if you will. He's taken marriage vows to his people. Here's what they sound like. I will be your God and I will be the God to your children and you will be my people. Listen to this. God never loves one person outside of covenant. I mean, he, he makes that clear. I mean, scripture says that Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. I mean, there's not one person he doesn't love outside of the context of covenant, of relationship. And, and what we have in marriage is a reflection. This is really cool. Is a reflection of, of our covenant with God. Our marriages should be a reflection of that. That love should be given primarily and ultimately in a covenant relationship. That's why the Bible's filled with language about marriage. And that's why he tells us we are his bride. He is the bridegroom. That's why, that's why God tells us when we sin against him, we've committed adultery. Because he's got this incredible covenant relationship with us. We're telling his story that marriage should reflect. Marriage is a covenant relationship in a way similar to God's relationship with us between a man and a woman. I read for you Genesis 2.24. It says that a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall hold fast or cleave to his wife. That's his covenant language. He should, he should commit to her. He, he should bond with her. He should go to that one and says, you are the one that I will commit my life to. I will hold fast. I will enter into an agreement to love you that God will bless. And I think the point is God gives everything in covenant relationship. He gives of himself. Uh, he gives transparently, fully, lovingly, and we are to give everything of ourselves in a covenant relationship as well. So when it comes to sex, sex is never to be done outside of a covenant relationship that God can bless. He said, this, this union is such a reflection of my union with you. This union so much tells my story that I don't ever want you to do it outside of a covenant relationship. Could say it this way. It sounds crazy. But sex is just supposed to show our, our, our union with God. It's supposed to show our, our covenant with Him, our, our connection to Him, our fidelity to be yours and only yours, and you are mine and only mine, and there's no other, there's no other God. And, and it's sex is, is kind of a, what, what theologians have said. I think it's such a beautiful thing. It's a covenant renewal. 
It's every time it's to renew your vows. It's to be reminded that the two shall become one flesh. It's to be reminded that God has given us this gift. It's, it's a renewing that I'm giving you everything I could give and holding back nothing. It's a, it's a renewing that to death do us part, I give you my very life. It's a renewing of the fact that you and you alone are the one that I'm to love and to cherish. And so, so sex is something so much more than just the physical, and yes, it's that. And sex is so much more than just the pleasurable, and yes, it's that. I mean, sex designed by God is supposed to show this covenant unity and, and relationship that we're called to in beauty. All right. Think of it this way. Communion. Once a month, we have the Lord's Supper. And I stand up here, Joe or David will stand up here and we'll say to you, now listen, this is not a meal for everybody. Uh, this is a meal, uh, this is a meal for only those who are in love with Jesus. This is a meal for those of you who have surrendered your life to Christ and he is your Lord and Savior. This is a tangible reminder of that relationship. And so every time that we take communion, it's like a, it's like a covenant renewal. We're, we're reminding ourselves that we're his. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember my love. Do this to remember my sacrifice. Do this to remember the vows I've given to you. That's sex. It's a covenant renewal. And, and we say before communion, hey, now listen, if you don't have a relationship with God, Scripture is very clear that you shouldn't do this because you're bringing damnation on yourself. You're putting yourself in a place that God can't bless. And so how amazing it is that he wants to use our marriages to reflect his covenant with us, and he wants to use sex as an incredible gift to show how unique that love is that he has for us and that we should have for one another. You see, it's wrong to take communion if you're not in covenant with God. And it's wrong to have sex if you're not in covenant with your spouse. That's the point of what he's trying to make. You see, it's not that God thinks that sex is so low or dirty. He thinks it's so high and powerful. The two become one. You don't give away everything you have physically, listen, until you give away everything you have emotionally. Until you give away everything you have spiritually. Until you give away everything you have of resources. You don't just give away the physical part. you got to give away everything of who you are. That's the covenant. That's the relationship that God has with us. I'm going to give everything. Jesus says, I'm going to empty out everything I have to love you and make you mine. And so we go and stand before our spouse and says, I commit to you everything. I commit to you my life. I commit to you all that I have in sickness and in health and and football season and baseball season. I I commit to you everything, all time. And sex is a covenant renewal of just saying, I am still all in. I'm still committed to you and just you. Not only that, is it a covenant renewal, uh, signs that we're in partnership with God. Sex is a sign of our unity with Christ and and with our spouse. Uh, Again, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 16 through 20, it's, it's very interesting language here. Again, you don't know if Paul's talking about marriage or our relationship with Christ because he's saying things like, do you not know that your bodies are members with Christ? You're, you're one with Christ. So how can you take that oneness with Christ and unite it with another that's not your wife? Never. But don't you know that he uses a language here, the two shall become one flesh. I mean, we can't hear that and not think of Genesis 2. This is God's purpose of unity. And what God, what he has joined to the Lord becomes that God's spirit is with us, that we are one. 
Here's the point. Unity and oneness is very important to God. In John chapter 17, we find Jesus' high priestly prayer. What did Jesus pray about at the very end of his life? I mean, what was most important to Jesus before he dies on the cross? What, what would be the one prayer that is, is theologians will call the high priestly prayer? You know what he prayed about before he gave up his life? Oneness. He prayed about oneness. He prayed for you and he prayed for me. And he says very specifically, I don't pray for those that are outside of covenant. He says it in John 17. He says it. But for all those that you've given to me, all those that, that are going to come to me, I pray this. Here's what he prays. I pray that we will be one. Father, as you and I are one, there is one God in three persons, as there's great unity in that, that we would be pulled into that oneness, that we would be one as God is one. I mean, that's, that's his greatest prayer. That we would know him and love him and know him and love him alone above all things. That he would be number one in all of our lives. There would, there would just be this oneness of love that flows from him into us and to one another, up to him. Oneness. And that's what sex is to reveal. Oneness. I know it sounds crazy. But he wants us in the marriage covenant to have sex that reveals our unity with God. Have you ever thought that? That has our unity with God, our unity with our spouse. The two shall become one flesh. There's a picture of what God is doing right there every time, face to face. God wants to make one. Oneness with us, oneness through our marriages. All right, so sex is to show God's covenant with us. Sex is to show the unity that we have with God. And sex is to bring God's glory. Sex for the glory of God. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds foolish. I know you want to blush and, and turn in your seat saying, really, sex for the glory of God? But yes. Did you hear what it says in 1 Corinthians six twenty? Let's look at that again. So... Glorify God in your body. Married or single, glorify God in your body. How do we do that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. Let me really read that to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says this. For this is the will of God. And I don't know about you, but every time I read something that says, this is the will of God, I kind of listen even more. Because <laughs> sometimes I have a hard time understanding the will of God. Now, what are you saying here, God? But when he comes out and says, now, this is the will of God, hello, there it is. It's teed up. It's ready to go. Well, this is the will of God, your holiness or your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. And this is amazing. That each one of us, married or single, each one of us, divorced or young or old, each one of us, you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passionate lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You see, there should be an amazing distinction between our sexuality, our sex lives, and the world who don't know God. Who don't know that this is about his covenant. Don't know that this is about his love story. Don't know this is about his unity. Don't know that this is to be done for his glory. He's saying, listen, you got to learn how to control your body. 
you got to control it. And, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm taming this because body actually is referring to, it's, it's a little bit more of a, a clear Greek of a sexual organ. You got to learn how to control your, your, that, that. You got to control it. And you got to do it in a way that's holy and honorable, not, not like some heathen, not like somebody who doesn't know God. Why? Because if you're married, you should be glorifying God with your body. Why? Because if you're single, you should be glorifying God with your body. Why? Because you were purchased with a price we read. Why? Because you and me, if we're believers, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, right? So this will tell us that we keep the marriage bed pure. How do we do that? By being chaste as married people. (laughs) By being married people who will love well our wives, our spouses, in a way that Loving them reflects the singular love that God has for us. Being for them and just them. Being chased as single people. And, and learning how to control your body as a single person as well as we do as married people. And I, I got to tell you, one of the most disturbing stories I ever, I ever heard was coming out of our elementary campus of some moms who were saying what movies they love to watch that just kind of really set them off. I'm like, really? And that's us? I mean, keep the marriage bed pure? I mean, is that what God's about? No, he's, he's given us uh, this great gift to be enjoyed. And lastly, sex should be enjoyed within marriage. I think we've made that point, but I wanted to stress the thing, enjoy. Can I say enjoy the heck out of it and get away with that? but within marriage. Let me give us a couple of thoughts in closing. This is kind of a potpourri in closing. The problem with porn. It's taking without giving. And God has never designed sex to be something you take without giving. God has never designed sex to be something done apart from covenant with another. I love what Jim Cofield says. It means porn seems to to be so innocuous. It seems to be so harmless. You know, it's like I'm not committing it. But there's every every time you look at porn, there's somebody being hurt. Somebody's being exploited. I mean, somebody's being taken advantage of. And it's hurting you. Porn perverts the marriage bed. It perverts what God has intended for sex to be. Porn creates a false reality. It makes, you, it, makes, it makes a guy think that this is how their spouses or their wives are supposed to respond or vice versa. It just creates a, a false image of, of what should be reality. Ann Voskamp, did I mention her, her name right? Uh, I just read, a, is that her name, Ann Voskamp? Uh, she, she wrote an article I read, a Christian um, housewife, uh, amazing writer. I just talked about how you know, there's something amazing about growing old with the same person. There's something amazing about realizing that stretch marks are a part of your love story and, and that scars and, and, and kind of learning how to love one person well for a long time. Porn will never tell you that that's the way it's supposed to be. But it is. He says we have a God who loves us in our brokenness and he loves us despite our scars and that's what love should be all about. The problem with porn is it's never enough. It's addicting. It really is. And some of you know that pain. 
It's never enough. It'll always leave you wanting more and it'll always carve a bigger hole in your heart and you'll always go look for something that's a little bit more out there. The problem with premarital sex, well, again, I've made it clear in God's word, it's never to be done outside of covenant with God, no matter how much in love you are and no matter when you're going to get married and no matter how wonderful that person is. You're not supposed to do it until you stand before God and your closest friends and you commit everything to that person. It always will damage you. Somehow, it's always taking something that's not God's best. The young people, and I feel like I gotta say this to the real young people, the greatest gift you could give your spouse on your wedding day is your sexual purity. The greatest gift you could ever give is the fact that there's no one else, there's no one else who's had that, who's had that privilege of knowing and loving your spouse like you do. Single people, Honor God with your body. Single people, you are already in covenant with God if you're in Christ Jesus. You already are. Single people, you already are one with Christ Jesus. Single people, what you need most is Jesus, not sex. I promise you it's true. We all have been created with a, uh, a hole in our hearts. Eternity's been put in our hearts and there's not a, there's not a sexual act that will fill it. Only Jesus. This is something that we need help once we fall and we need help, especially for addictions like pornography and community. Uh, sins like this grow really well in the dark. We gotta bring the light of Christ into it. Uh, if you're doing something where you feel like it's just you and God, uh, it was recently said that you're probably doing something sinful. Uh, let me encourage you if you uh, are uh, wrestling to get help. God's grace is available all. It will reach us all again. Sex is a gift. It's a gift to be told in God's love story, told in the bedroom between a husband and a wife. Let us pray. Father, may your Holy Spirit press upon our hearts the truth and the depth of your love for the beauty of the bride of Christ, for the health of our bodies. God, I pray that you would shine brightly into the dark. Wrap your arms around the one who is so broken sexually right here, right now. That God, you would call us to a higher level. That you would show us what this gift is all about for your glory. And God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that as we figure this out and we continue to stumble and fall and make a mess of things, your grace is sufficient. But God, may each of us learn to control our bodies in a holy and honorable way that brings you glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.